State Department is pulling an agent that specializes in responding to escalated cartel activity. This is not my department. Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Yes, there is. An infallible way. They won. What's well, a casino? People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot? Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen. Would not happen. You fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? Maybe it was the love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again? The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? Don't remember. See if he starts shooting. I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the peoples of Mesoamerica or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. You ran a security check on me. Well... Sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain. Sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an ex. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it. It gets upset. Its hair falls out. Walter, fucking no. dog has fucking papers. Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line. That's a foul. What happened? Did your, did your balls drop off? <laughs> Thank you.
Hey there, everyone. Welcome into bonus episode number seven of Film Tank. It's the first time we've uh, done one of these bonus episodes, and I honestly can't even remember the last one we did. I think the last one we did was Bloodline, season oh, one. Oh. I think. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was that or Ex Machina, but oh. I, think it, I think it might have been Bloodline. I think so, actually. <laughs> Anyways, it's been at least like four months or so since we did a... I mean, that's what happens when your you know your mainstream content is just so money and so quality that you just don't even need to give. There's just bonuses. no reason for it. Exactly. There's just no reason to give extra content because no. your main content, which already is just bringing in the listeners by the bushelful. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> Film Tank is the you know cinematic podcast equivalent of like when you go to a great restaurant and you just don't need any dessert. No, just go straight for the main course. Don't appetizer, dessert, nope. soda, check, none of it. That's it. You just need to eat your main course and you just leave. You're just done. Yep. And we play with our food, so. Right. Yep. I'm just trying to keep this food analogy. Okay. I was going to say, we've pushed this, I think, to its limits. This is why we don't do bonus episodes. <laughs> we pushed this food analogy to its limits, so let's rein it back in and come check, back. Check, please. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be the last. That's fine. We could, there could, I'm sure there will be more. Maybe maybe not. We'll see. Hopefully not, but we'll see. On this bonus episode, we're going to be discussing uh, the new film, the new action crime drama uh, from uh, French-Canadian director Denis Villeneuve. Uh, and this film is Sicario, uh, about an idealistic FBI agent uh, who is enlisted by a government task force to aid the uh, war against drugs at the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, this film stars Emily Blunt, Josh Brolin, and Benicio Del Toro, and also features uh, character actors like John Bernthal, Victor Garber, and Jeffrey Donovan, who you would probably know from Burn Notice. I could not recognize him until you pointed out who he was, because <laughs> that mustache was just not... It was throwing me off completely. He looked really... like He had those like black like NASA 1960s glasses going on. And usually whatever he's in, he always has like perfect hair. Mm -hmm. And here he had like the whole receding hairline thing and whatnot. He also made some really weird comment about, about his, uh, his like bowels or yeah. something like that. Yeah, and, that was in there. Yeah. And didn't get paid off, no. but it was in there. <laughs> it, well, it definitely didn't get paid off because after his like small part, he's not seen again in the entire film. Which doesn't really make sense. I mean, not that it doesn't make sense, but it's... Uh, he was introduced, I would say, not dramatically, but I would say at least emphatically. And yet, yeah, he just kind of drops off the face of the assignment. Right. And perhaps we'll have more to say about that as, yeah. uh, as there are things that could be said about this film. Uh, we're going to try to say them. Well, we're going to try to say some of them for sure. Maybe not all of them, but some of them. Yeah. Whatever comes to our minds. You know, That's right. That's what this is. Yep. So, uh, Denny's... Sorry, not Denise. Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> there we go. French name every time. It's French names. Uh, he has done somewhat, not I wouldn't say popular, but definitely a lot more mainstream films recently. Uh, mainly uh, 2013's Prisoners and 2014's Enemy. I, I, I don't want to say they were mainstream. They weren't I mean, Prisoners was, I don't know anybody that saw Enemy. Yeah. Like around, you know, these circles. But still, like it was Jake Gyllenhaal was the main character in Enemy. I Correct. Believe. Yes, he was. And uh, but the, he was like the only star. Like at least uh, you know what you call it. Prisoners, Prisoners had, had Hugh Wolf Jackman Wolverine and uh, yeah. Antoine Fisher. 
no, what is it? Hustle and Flow. I was thinking of Terrence. Terrence uh, Howard? Yeah, not Antoine Fisher. <laughs> that was really racist, even though it was just an accident. It's okay. That's fine. I mean, it is what it uh, is. Who is in Antoine Fisher? Now I got to know, but you know what? Never mind. It's Yeah, it's probably not necessary. No. I'm just not going to look it up that way. I can just pretend like he was. <laughs> oh... Well, anyway. we're not talking about prisoners, though, even though we've no. spent the last two minutes talking about it. We are talking about Sicario. Uh, and uh, since I was the one who really wanted to see this film, and uh, and I also guess I should mention that this film has gotten pretty high praise from critics. It's not like critically acclaimed necessarily, but it's gotten a lot of really strong reviews. Um, and I was planning on thinking that this was a great film, just like I thought Prisoners, which, if we're just going to go on ratings, I gave Prisoners four and a half out of five. I was a big fan of it. And Sicario, although I did definitely still enjoy it as a film, definitely thought it had some more faults in it than Prisoners did, and some things that I didn't necessarily love about it. Um, I guess I should start with things that I really did like, and uh, the beginning of those being the sound of the gunshots in the film is... If you know anything about me uh, when it comes to small little technical details, if you can get a really good sounding gunshot in a film, you've already got me on board. Like, that's half the battle. All you gotta do is be a pupil of uh, Michael Mann's sound for gunshots. I know. School. You look at Heat, Miami Vice, Black Collateral. Hat. Collateral. The one, just, just literally, just put the one, uh, like, hit that. Uh, what you call it, Tom Cruise does in Collateral toward the beginning of the movie. It's still just one of the craziest things I've ever seen, just because of its sound design. Like, it just shakes the entire house, but not in one of those just obnoxious, like, Dolby Atmos way, like, like <laughs> It actually, I feel like someone just shot something in my house, and it freaks me the fuck out. Yeah, especially, imagine if you're seeing that, like, in IMAX theater and something, you heard that gunshot sound, and it would just be like, fuck. Yep. So that's what Sicario had going for it, just mm-hmm. on a technical level, in terms of when there were gunshots, which I feel like there could have been more. Uh, yeah, but, you know, that's not really the kind of movie it ended up being. No, it liked to turn its head every time uh, those kind of things were happening. Because there, there is quite a few, I would say, scenes of like uh, firings and whatnot, and yet like it's it's a very narrow-minded film that it only follows two or three characters, and if other characters are doing those things, we only see it from the other people's perspectives who aren't always on the front line, so to speak. Which makes it kind of messy at some points. Yeah. Uh, other things I did enjoy uh, involved in the first 20 minutes were really the first raid that uh, Emily Blunt's character of Kate uh, does when she's with her original crew that she rolls with, which is the FBI, when they go and they raid these places where they think there are hostages or drug deals happening. They're in Arizona as well, uh, and they raid this house, and they find bodies inside the walls, pretty much. And I think there's ended up being, like, what, 40 or oh, something yeah, like did. that, like a lot. Yeah. And it, it's really, it's kind of eerie, but it also did remind me of Prisoners, the kind of tone that it's set when you see all the walls pulled down and there's just these bodies, these dead bodies just hanging there. I was going to say, even in Prisoners, now you've seen it more recently than I have, mm-hmm. isn't there even, like, the image of, like, people, like, because doesn't, I can't remember, but doesn't Hugh Jackman kind of enclose Paul Dano's character, like, within the wall itself? Like, yeah. Like, that's actually, like, a reoccurring motif in uh, Villeneuve's uh, filmography, now that I'm starting to think about it. Although, that was more for a, a torture scene, where right. it's not really... It's not real. We're not really at least given the information of if they were murdered before this, and they were just hiding the bodies there right. for some reason. I just meant it was like a weird visual echo of, yeah, of that. I could see that. Yeah, but. but when we move on to the actual narrative of the story, uh, we're given some parts that I think are really well done, and some parts that aren't. Uh, mainly, 
the details that are given, at least in the first act of this film and the beginning of the second act of the film, I feel like the little details that were shown um, were pretty much done really well, which gave good feelings on what characters were. Uh, just a really small detail would be involved with Josh Brolin's character, who honestly is playing this sort of George Bush, George W. Bush, uh, Dick Cheney action is way better than diplomacy. Let's just do what our plan is and not give a shit about thinking about it. Really, that's all he's doing is his entire job is to just follow orders and do whatever needs to be done to get this done. So we see him, though, and he is wearing flip-flops with socks and they decide to show this detail i don't really know why but i as a viewer like to take it as he's just sort of relaxing and taking it easy well he's literally talking to people about these 40 bodies that it has found and they're like holy shit we need to figure out what this is and he's just kind of you know it definitely I do this every day i was gonna say thing. it definitely shows how detached he is from making these decisions you know he doesn't care about the repercussions he only cares about the results but there were a lot of little details that were shown like that early in the film which i really enjoy because i feel like we don't necessarily get that sort of attention to detail out of other filmmakers in that in that amount because there was a lot of it early on and then as the narrative progressed uh Villeneuve kind of got away from that which I was a little bit disappointed about it's almost like I've introduced you to these characters do you know some details about them so I'm going to stop with right. this and just let the story play out which the problem was is that for me at least the story really was not good enough to push you forward and not find out more about the characters because the little we knew about them, even if we got more detail about them, didn't really help because the narrative wasn't as strong as it probably could have been. It was almost too, I would say, uh, sanctioned off as far as like, okay, first we're only going to introduce characters, then we're only going to progress the plot, and then we're only going to give like thematic scene. You know, like like none of these were mixed up well enough for me. Should I kind of go into? That's fine. Yeah, because <clears throat> I was I was quite underwhelmed by this movie. Mm-hmm. I I was a fan of Prisoners. I really liked that, uh, but I especially did like Enemy even more than Prisoners. So I was actually pretty much on board for this before I saw it. However, this is definitely my least favorite Villeneuve's uh, film. It's it's so technical that it goes past being impressive and just goes into being, I would say, uh, it's a bad word to use, but it, useless because just because, you know, like we, we saw a film earlier, but we never talked about it this year called Black Sea. Remember Black Sea? Yeah. And that was not a great film, but part of that film definitely also relied on very heavy technicality stuff, you know, as far as like how those submarines actually worked and the actual language you would use. And yet that was the strength of that film, I thought. It wasn't perfect in other ways, but that was one of the best parts of that film. I feel like in this film, that actually dragged this film down because I think at least from what I can see from his other two films, Villeneuve's much better at talking in a much more mythological way or like an emotional way. Because when I watch Prisoners, I feel like a lot of the same faults are still present in a movie like Prisoners, but it had such a stronger emotional core in that movie that it's so much easier to kind of look past and just enjoy. Whereas here, you don't have, I would say, as engrossing characters as you do in any of his other films. Like They're all pretty much, in my opinion archetypes and not fascinating ones at that um emily blunt's character i also feel like is problematic and i know it's you know it's sometimes you know what we talk about when we talk about feminism but on the one hand i i feel like this was a 
weirdly cynical and realistic movie because of the way Blunt's character was treated. And yet, on the other hand, I also think it was almost too cynical that it became insulting because in the first 20 minutes, we're led to believe that this is an idealistic woman, just like the summary you know, said, and yet still a completely competent one. Then she gets in over her head and all of the men in the story, because she's the only woman in the story, um, basically use her, abuse her, take advantage of her. Which is one thing, but it's also, concurrently, we're also getting her slowly unraveling. And I don't know that I ever bought into this idea that, you know, I, I completely understand why, you know, the other people would, like, take advantage of her. I mean, that's just, you know, cynical war uh, films and whatnot. But, like, th- there were scenes of her, like, down in the mine when it's time for the ready, you know, for the big climax, where she, like, literally dropped her gun at one point, I think. And, like... Well, she took her helmet off, and well, she yeah. took her... She dropped her. They were all using like large rifle automatic right. weapons, and she dropped it and went to her handgun, which didn't really make right. Any there, sense. there were little things like that that kind of showed that she was out of her depth. But it's like, why is it now she's out of her depth? Simply because you know she's being pushed to the brink. I, I just never bought that character journey as far as how we got from that first scene, which I agree. I thought the first twenty minutes were both fantastic, uh, just cinematically, but also character wise. I thought here we're being introduced to a very interesting world, uh, an interesting plot, and an interesting heroine, and then. All those things that I found interesting quickly became uh, monotonous and just very, very, I would say, dry by the end of the film and somewhat unbelievable. Well, an- another issue I'll have with this, and I'll get to more praise that I had for it because I-, I-, I enjoyed this film more than you did. But an issue that I definitely saw with this film is that we had so much setup and then there was really no payoff. And I-, I understand that they're trying to tell a story and you can't you know, just go from point A to point B. There's always going to be hills and curves in there but i feel like we spent something like 18 to 20 minutes on this introduction of this scene that involved Juarez uh in in mexico where they were going to extract somebody who they needed to get information from and we spent so much time during the beginning part of this film focusing on getting to that part and we even see them flying to el paso driving through mexico yeah and that driving scene like that is your Stereotypical, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but mm-hmm. like, like the Hans Zimmer esque score is blah blah being all the way through it, and it goes on for an excruciating amount of time, which is a great way to build up tension. But there's and, no release then no, at the end. It's we, just we, we get like to it farts. A, we get to a very small part of this scene because honestly, the the setup where I thought the scene was going was that they they were trying to extract this this person from Mexico and go back to the United States so they could interrogate him. And the problem was they got stuck at the border then, and I really thought this was just going to be full-out chaos, which right. I mean, would have paid off this extended scene getting up here because we see all these cars of people coming up with guns that you right. think there's going to be this enormous gunfight in the middle of all these pedestrians really who are just trying to cross the border it would have been an amazing gunfight scene instead we get uh we get benicio del toro pretty much the first time we see him being this crazy army alpha male just clearing shit out in half a second and then they magically the rivers part and they go across the border yeah and the scene's over yeah and it, it that part didn't make any sense to me because and there were other things that happened in this film that were quite like that where you had a lot of build-up, and then there really wasn't any payoff at the end. Like, it was the anti-Tarantino, where you're going to sit through this long, yeah. 
dialogue scene, but he's going to give you the huge gunfight at the end of it. So I was going to say, it'd be like if, if the bar scene in Inglorious Bastard just like ended with them like parting ways and saying, okay, well, I'll see you tomorrow, okay, guys? It's, it's been great. But no, I, I completely agree with, with everything you're saying, and that's one of the fatal flaws of this film for me, is that it, it has all this tension, and then it makes its characters too competent by nature. And I say that, but yet the worst thing it does is it makes them all too competent, except for Emily Blunt's character, because mm. in every scene that she's in, after the first 20 minutes, she's completely out of her depth, which to me makes no sense, because it's one thing to be scared, but it's another thing to, like, when she wouldn't get out of the car, I'm like, you you were just, you just raided the house where you fucking drove a truck through the, uh, you know, yeah, uh, through the house, which, which, was which, awesome. which was awesome, but now you're the character who's just not gonna get out of their car because they're scared, you know, like, it's just, it never, uh, it all of the tension building felt false, and then when it wouldn't even pay off that tension, then it just felt worthless. But I will say about Emily Blunt's character, where I kind of see where the filmmakers are going for, is that she was almost used as a pawn in this film. We even see that early on, where she's brought in after this whole business happens, where they find the bodies in the house in Arizona. It basically, she's asked these questions, and based on her answers, they decide if they're going to use her or not. Yeah. And that's the, the point, is she's being used throughout this entire film, because really, she's just a technicality to be there so they can do these illegal activities that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And I agree. I love that you say pawn, just because now I'm actually visualizing it, and just having her come in and out of the room, mm-hmm. like, literally signifies that. Like, it's not right. just, like, that they're just using her, but it's like, they're using her to the point where they're telling her when to go sit back yeah. outside the room and whatnot. So, no, I, and that's what I mean, though. I, I agree with you that I thought the the first 20 minutes set up that. So I agree that the film followed through on that uh, idea, mm-hmm. but I don't know that by the time we get to the end that that, that the ending, uh, I would say, successfully won me over in how they got there. Because then we have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is that the, they rest the film, rest the entire climax and almost the entire emotional resonance of the climax on an incidental character up until that point, which is Benicio del Toro's character. That is true, and I, I think... That, How did that work for you? Well, I will say that the entire setup of it was not great, although if you didn't see what was happening coming, you weren't paying attention to the film. because well, yeah, it was they, obvious. They tried to make it obvious, but he, here's my thing. If you, if you want to make that obvious, why not just make the film about Benicio del Toro and not make it... I mean, you could make Emily Blunt and... Josh Brolin supporting characters exactly, and make Benicio Del Toro this lead character because honestly he's ten times more interesting than all the other characters in the movie anyways. Agreed. And you're gonna, your, your whole climax of the film it pretty much just forgets. I mean honestly we don't see Emily Blunt's character for probably 20 minutes at the towards the climax of the film. Oh yeah. We see Benicio Del Toro kidnap this other uh, Hispanic guy who were shown intermittently throughout the film for no reason. Don't even get me started about that because that was one of the worst uh, like examples of script writing where the minute we kept going back to his scene this is I'm talking about the uh, the police officer yeah. where we see the day in the life of him and he's got a family and whatnot every time we return back to that for like a minute at a time I'm like oh my god this obviously means that he's going to be killed at a later time in the you know crossfire of this war and that's how it's going to be made personal for the audience so because I knew that from the minute he was introduced it completely lessened that effect for me and just was just so I would say shallow and how they set that up but I, I agree that, uh, yeah, Benicio del, Coro, uh, del, del Toro, I cannot speak tonight at <laughs> that's, all. That's all right. Del Toro's character became the most fascinating character, and yet it also was way too obvious by the time he was introduced. I mean, they literally show him on a plane having, like, night terrors, you know. And so it's kind of like we know that there's something to be revealed about him. Mm-hmm. However, when it does get revealed, it also 
like I wouldn't say I was gonna laugh like that one person in our. <laughs> We we'll, should probably address we'll, we'll, that. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, there's a story about that. But when when Josh Brolin character uh, explains to Emily Blunt's character about his backstory and said that like his wife was beheaded and his daughter was burned in a vat of acid. Yeah, we, we've heard this before. It's well, not that we've heard it before, thing. but no. uh, I agree with. I mean, we have, but yeah. not just that, but I agree with one of my online friends who said it sounded like he was a Batman villain. Like, it's just so outlandish that it kind of foregoes emotional nuance and just turns this into a really boring revenge tale, in my opinion. I suppose. I, th- I think that the problem for me was that I personally loved every time Benicio Del Toro's character was on screen. I enjoyed everything we learned about him as a character, and I, I wish he was on screen more. I wish this film was totally about him, which he ends up being the main part of the finale of the film. Yeah. Also, though, I guess we should talk more about when we get to the middle part of the film, and then when we get to the end part of the film, because that's obviously the, the main climax is, is there, but when we get to point in the middle of the film when we're introduced to John Bernthal's character, that was another part of the movie that I I, I really enjoyed uh, while, it, while I was watching it. But then when I thought about it a little later, it wasn't quite as good because we have this really loose analogy of her, her Emily Blunt's character, being able to relate to what's happening with John Bernthal. And I, I don't I don't know. It really worked in this in this in the theater, but when I thought about it it was kind of dumb. It's, that was another reason I, I really like John Bernthal, by yeah. the way, and I just want to see him in pretty much everything. Uh he was just really random side note, but he was fantastic, I thought, in the the newest HBO miniseries, uh Show Me a Hero. He has a very supporting role, but very notable and uh, even when he's playing against type like I think he is in that, he's mm-hmm. fantastic. Uh but I really thought his uh his yeah, his scene in this uh, film was another reason why I I feel like this this movie goes past defining Emily Blunt as idealistic and becoming insultingly sexist because here we have now a, a scene in which a woman succumbs to her feelings and then she's punished for it. You know, I just feel like almost every character beat of Emily Blunt's in this character would not have been written for a male uh, character, and that's what I felt was insulting throughout. I I guess I will not go as far as to say it was insulting only because. I feel like the whole whole part of her being used as a pawn is totally true, as she's being used as a pawn in that situation by two different people for two different situations. You I know mean, what? It was just kind of kind of weird. I actually want to take back the word insulting. I'll say disappointing. Okay. Like it? Th- yeah, it's mostly just underwhelming and disappointing because we we still are not doing anything with these like opportunities we have. Like, because I think getting Emily Blunt for this movie is an opportunity, and then when we have this narrative. Then it becomes, for me, disappointing, basically. Okay. Um, and then let's talk really quick, because uh, I really want to get to it, the the final scene. Okay. The, the literal yeah. final scene between Del Toro and uh, Blunt's character. The, well, oh. can we just... just you want to talk it, about the, uh, let, the dinner? Let, let's go through the climax okay. and, the, and the dinner scene, because I think we'll, we'll get there first, and okay. then we'll get to the end. All right. So... This climactic scene, I thought, was honestly terrific. After we get to the point where we, we get to the car with the, with the Hispanic police officer who inevitably gets shot by Benicio Del Toro's character, as he, now he has an in getting to this drug lord's house. And we've been hearing whispers about, oh, he's got this reason to kill this drug lord and whatever. But he finally gets there. And this is where this movie really just as awesome as even though the story around it isn't great, the action of this final scene and the, the, how it actually plays out. I really did enjoy because we see 
basically this this huge house where this this Mexican drug lord lives with his family, and there's all this protection around him. Benicio del Toro basically just kills all of the people around it with kind of a silencer, so no one hears sort of... <laughs> kind of a silencer. Yeah, not really. It looks like one, but it does not sound like one no. in some of those scenes. <laughs> but he gets in, and we have this like a very intense scene involving him sitting across from this family where they're eating, and basically the drug lord saying, don't make my family watch while you kill me, and then he proceeds to murder the family and not in front of him. Yeah. And this is where we were going earlier. We were talking about this because this very intense, very like dramatic scene, all of a sudden in the theater, this guy just starts like out loud, just belly laughing. He sounded like Statler or Waldorf because he was like, whoa, during the scene while this guy's family is murdered. Yeah, that that was disturbing to say the least. So I'm, I'm concerned about who uh, who's uh, going to that theater in that neighborhood that we went to, but uh yeah, that was messed up, I gotta say. It, well, yeah, I did say to you that you know some people do have a psychological reaction, and when they're nervous, they laugh. But it's of, weird it's, in a movie it's, theater when everyone's It's weird in a movie silent. theater when you, yeah, when, when it's dead silent and you should know better, like it's fiction, so it's like you shouldn't just laugh. Like there, there's something wrong with you there. Yeah, that um, was odd. That was that was like the overnight odd. Like, oh, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that. Yeah. Um, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, but and I like that climax because I agree with you that a lot of these scenes are so wonderfully crafted on an individual level. Mm-hmm. It's just the way all of these scenes play together that just doesn't work for me. I loved actually that table conversation between mm-hmm. them two. Even if I thought it was a little hammy because when he when he um, I don't know what the boss's name was I, but when he like says something to him like who do you think we learned it from you know yeah. and it was like oh the u.s governments are the real monsters and terrorists like it's like well duh like it, you know you're not saying anything new and yet you're you know using that hand zimmer soundtrack to try to bring home a point that i've already been hit over the head with and i don't think the film did a good job of arriving to so it was like by that point i was both impressed by what it could do and then wondering why it couldn't do this all along right i think ultimately this film should have been more about benicio del toro and his and instead we have this whole storyline of the drug war between the u.s and mexico uh, with the border patrol between U.S. and Mexico. And also, we get to this really weird, uh, another thing that I was, it's meant to be this like shocking thing, but I, I felt like it was completely wasted and also kind of awkward, where Josh Brolin pretty much tells Emily Blunt after she says she's going to pretty much be the whistleblower on this. Yeah. She's going to tell everybody about what they've been doing. Things they've are been... going on I don't approve of. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that was me quoting from The Informant, in case the, anybody didn't know. The Informant is going to get, has gotten, and will probably continue to get brought up way more than it should. I was going to say, that's really one of fun movie. mine and Alex's favorite movies. It is, it's a, and it's, a, it's very quotable. So, <laughs> However... Uh, Josh Brolin tells Emily Blunt basically they've been going through all of this because the U.S. wants to control the inflow and how my, how many drugs are on hand in the U.S. That they're basically aware that they're not going to get rid of the drug problem. They want to control the drug pro- problem. That was another thing because... It should have really been a like huge aha moment that affected the rest of the outcome of the film. And it's basically not even spoken of again, other than in the ending scene where Emily Blunt is forced to sign a form that says, uh, 
we did everything to the book. Nothing bad happened. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and that's the other thing, though. That revelation. Maybe I'm spoiled by David Simon's narratives, who uh, created The Wire, which is all about the war on drugs. But that felt so cynical that it became laughable. Like, like you know, there, there's a I, – I don't think that any government, especially our own, is some kind of idealistic government or something like – and that there isn't any kind of nefarious uh, motivation. But, like, the idea that he was like, no, we're running the drug trade now, <laughs> bitch. Like, it just it just made me almost, once again, laugh in the theater. But yeah. – um, can, okay, so now can we talk about yeah, that, that we, we, final we, we, scene? This has been a very scatterbrained episode, but it we're, we're going to get to the final scene. That's which, how this movie works. Well, uh, that actually is very much true. We think we're talking about one thing, and then, nope, we're talking about Benicio Del Toro. And, uh, but that Should have been talking about him more. <laughs> <laughs> that final scene, though, there was a moment in that final scene when I was almost going to like retroactively change what I had been thinking about that film up until that point, and mm-hmm. maybe like even just jump on board completely, which was the moment in which uh, Benicio Del Toro's character shows up at Emily Blunt's apartment basically to scare her into signing something that says that she will not you know, say anything about anything that has happened mm-hmm. that she has witnessed. And then she says, I can't sign it because she's a very idealistic woman, according to the IMDb summary. And um, <laughs> at the moment when she or when he takes a gun, puts it against her throat. I even heard people in our theater, and that's an appropriate reaction, go like, oh, like, you know, because it's very tense and whatever. And this sounds horrible. Had he pulled the trigger in that scene, I may have actually pretty much retroactively forgiven anything that I had thought was disappointing because then it would have made sense to me as far as what we were truly building towards. But instead, we get her succumbing to signing the thing, which I can understand from a human standpoint. But Yeah, we have a gun pointed to your head. Right. Somewhat, and I, I, I do think that is an interesting point on, and, and, and I will say that I'm, I will agree with you that I think that that message at the end of the film would have made, I think it would have made a much better finale to finish. However, I still am I'm totally fine with the way the film finished. And what, the reason why I'm not is because, like, okay, if you would have pulled the trigger, then I think we would have gotten this very sick and cynical message, which fits in with this film's atmosphere, right. that, like, you can make all the actions you want on an individual level, but it won't change anything on the you know communal level. And that's, like, what's kind of sad about this whole situation, both in real life and in this movie. But then when she succumbs to it, uh, signs it, okay, even that's okay i mean i wasn't happy with that but then she he leaves and then she well first he says that got off a line about how <laughs> this is a town that's filled with wolves and you're not a wolf or whatever he said it was, it was <laughs> stupid but it was exactly as stupid as that sounds and then he walks away and then she goes out on the balcony points a gun at him and then is unable to shoot uh, her bambi i guess because she just like puts her gun down like that's when i thought it was taking it a step too far and made her one of the most pathetic characters like it wasn't that she was idealistic apparently she just can't do anything because I don't know it just it felt that's when the only time when I felt the film was like insulting because it felt so tacky that I'm like you're only hurting this character that you barely built up to begin with so I I could have lived without that final scene well I I'll say that I really did enjoy it I mean the the part of her holding the gun and having this tense moment I mean after the it, it, like on second viewings, that whole scene is just gonna be stupid. At least the, the it part wasn't of tense her for pulling me the gun because well, there's no way 
that that script would have allowed her to shoot him because the whole point was she would never do anything like right. that. Like, and it was apparent the minute she signed that document. Like, she's not that kind of person. So the idea that the film thought it was going to milk more tension out of a scene that had already died, like that's where it became offensive to me that the film thought it was more than it was. But the actual build-up to that scene where we have Benicio Del Toro arriving, asking her to sign yeah. this... And her ultimately signing it, I felt like, was very impactful, at least for me, of basically the government saying, sign this or you're going to die, and pretty much you have no recourse. Right. So No, and I, I agree with that. It's definitely a knockout pair of performances that we saw yeah. in that scene. Yeah. And overall, I think that this film, even though it has these weird twists and turns that really didn't work, and it, it really had a hard time identifying what I wanted the narrative to be. I really did enjoy a lot of this film, and I thought it was uh, well done, as I think uh, Denis Villeneuve is a really good filmmaker. The one thing I want to say before we get to final thoughts and ratings is that just like a lot of other things with films these days, you, you find out something outside of the actual film itself, and it, it, it makes things make a lot more sense, and it also disappoints you. Denis Villeneuve, not a really big Hollywood uh, franchise director or whatever, we already find out before this film is even released that there will be a sequel to it. And I... I, 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 yeah. I, I had blocked that out when we saw it, so I was not thinking about that whatsoever. It, it makes, at least for me, it makes sense that you don't want to blow your load on the ideals that are given in this film. But when you go in thinking that this is going to be a one-time, one-off there's nothing after this. We don't want anything after this. I want everything tied up nicely, and I want to see a film that's just about itself. And then you you see that this film also is trying to serve a purpose of a whole another film that will come sometime down the road. I love to see- that's, that really is annoying to me, and it makes a lot more sense for some of the things that happened in this film. I would love to see a sequel where, like, every time Benicio Del Toro walks into the room, Emily Blunt just takes out her gun and just stares at him and then holsters it after five seconds. Ugh, I just can't do it! I hope that the sequel is only about Benicio Del Toro's character because I don't really need anything. Oh, fine, you can shake your head if you want. I don't I don't need any Well, I mean, his story was already told, so I don't understand how he could really be... Like, Emily Blunt's story was not told. Josh Brolin's story was not told. That was, that was my downfall of this film, is that we told somebody's story that wasn't even really one of the main characters. So that's, that's why if this movie becomes about him, I, I, I just don't know what else there is to tell other than his generic revenge story. Okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm not really sure what will happen with the next film. If there will, I'm sure there will end up being, I'm not sure what will happen with it. It'll be called Los Sicarios. <sighs> okay. <sighs> Let's go to ratings. Let's start with you, Nick. I know you were, were a very... <sighs> Very lukewarm on this film. I am, and I, I was, and I still am, and I still give it a two and a half out of five. Like, it's not like that I think this is some god-awful film. I, I don't. It just, it screws up so much when it has so much going for it at the mm-hmm. same time, and that's what I found ultimately disappointing. I, I thought that, like I said earlier, a lot of scenes were fantastic in and of itself, whether it's just the cinematography, which is always great by Deacons and uh, Villeneuve, because I thought it was even better in Prisoners, but it was mm-hmm. still great here. Yeah. Um, but a lot of those things still work, and I thought the performances were also great as well. But uh, as far as the script, it, it's such a mess that I just could not... I, do, I don't want to go on this journey again. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to have another film, I hope that it's got a lot more of a, a lot more bite than its bark. Like, I want to see like... a film all about Victor Garber's character. 
That would be good. Yeah, a lot about the, the guy who's leading some part faction of the FBI, yeah. but not really because he has absolutely no authority over anything. Exactly. I, That's yeah. true tragedy right there. Yeah. It's Victor Garber, too. He's great. He is. Old Mr. Andrews from Titanic. Aw. Aw. Um, I well, was thinking of him as Sidney Bristow's father from Alias. Okay. I was not. Well, that's because you don't watch as much TV as I do. <laughs> so I still want to say I enjoyed this film. I feel like, for me, I really wanted to see this be a great film, and it was not. But at the same time, I know that I'll need to see this a couple more times to really know how I feel about it. Because... Just like with a lot of my favorite director's films or favorite star's films or whatever, I'm usually overly critical out of the gate. I usually won't just say, oh, I love that, because I, I really want it to be something that it ends up not being. I feel like I felt the same way about this as I felt about Interstellar last year. I went to go see it, and I had no idea really how to feel about it. I, I thought I enjoyed it, but I didn't really know what my opinion... I mean, I think, Nick, sometimes you do the same kind of things. I know you didn't even really know how to feel about Inherent Vice the first time out. No, I mean, I knew I liked it, but I didn't know to what extent or what that even meant, like what I liked about it. And I'm not trying to say that this is, I mean, obviously it's not the same kind of film as a Paul Thomas Anderson film. But when you see a film from a filmmaker that you really genuinely think is great, you're expecting high things first time out, and it's not always going to be like that. So that being said, I'm, I'm trying not to be too overly critical of my rating because I do think, especially in repeat viewings, I will like this even more. Um, but I don't necessarily think my rating will change because I'm going to give it three and a half out of five. Uh, I do recognize that there are definitely faults in the script writing of this film and in the structure of this film that really I'll never change my opinion on because they just weren't that great. However, a lot of scenes throughout this film and a lot of sort of the ideals that this film was trying to go for, I really did appreciate and enjoy. And I feel like if they were packaged together a little better, could have had a, a better product at the end of the day. And I think Benicio Del Toro was great in this film. I liked his character as a supporting character. I think he did his job, even though I wish we would have spent more time with him because he was way more interesting than Josh Brolin and Emily Blunt's character for me personally. And the final scene was just fucking awesome. And I'm, just not going to change my mind on that the whole the whole way it is set up the whole way it pays off it was just awesome so um i'll have to come back on Sicario. the final scene meaning the dinner scene yeah the dinner okay. scene i'm I sorry just, the, no, i just wanted to make sure the climactic scene of this film yeah. which was the dinner scene uh, yeah but um yeah three and a half out of five for now and honestly I'm, i may change my rating somewhere down the road either higher or lower because I really don't know how to feel about this film as a whole. This is definitely one of those movies that it's not what you expect it to be. Like, no, no matter what you expect it to be. So. I mean, I, I heard, For I read all the worse. really, really strong reviews on it, and I just thought this was going to be 100%. I was going to love it. And it, it it's, it's a weird film because although I did like it, and I, I think I like it more than like an average, whatever, average-ish film, it just, I don't know. It's just there's some about it that just makes it feel like this could have been a lot better. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, from Nick Cheney and myself, Alex Deepman want to say thank you for listening to this episode. You can always find our episodes on filmtankshow.com. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. And, uh, also if you wanted to uh, email us and tell us how much you loved or hated or were indifferent about Sicario, you can do that at filmtankshow at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at film tank show. 
So again, thank you very much for listening to this bonus episode of Film Tank. We will catch up with you next time.